Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. A word of warning. This podcast explores graphic and disturbing stories and includes some strong language. It therefore may not be suitable for our young listeners or other folks who may find it disturbing. Hello and welcome to True Crime Daily, the podcast covering under-the-radar cases and headline-making cases from around the country every week. We are recording this on May 13th, 2020, and I am Anna Garcia. Our guest today is criminal defense attorney Allison Treasel. Allison, thank you for coming back. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. This uh, Adjusting to this new normal, um, but, you know, loving doing your podcast. I really do. Oh, we love having you on. Love your insight. And we were chatting before we started recording that you're trying to juggle, what, something like 60 cases in this pandemic? Right. It's crazy, but I have 60 open criminal cases because I'm a criminal defense attorney. The courts are closed. Some are open partially. So we're making telephonic appearances. And, you know, there's a there's a real concern about people that are in custody. And have you heard the news in the last few days about L.A. County Jail the inmates there are actually intentionally trying to get COVID by drinking, sharing drinks, by having seriously close contacts, because they think that they'll be able to get out early if they have COVID. I am disgusted by this on a hundred different levels. First of all, if you know, if you are a criminal and you're you're trying to scam the system. And what you're doing is you're just infecting other people who could be innocent, like, you know, you're infecting the guards, you're infecting the nurses who work there, everyone. Oh, my God. Yeah. Outrageous. Outrageous. But that's what they're trying to do to, so that they can get released. Oh, wow. I know. The world is, it feels like the world is coming to an end every minute of the day, right? With it this really, kind of news. It's just all of it's shocking. Every day you wake up to something else and it's shocking. Absolutely shocking. Oh, I'm repulsed by that. And sadly... We have two horrendous cases today, and the first one is just so disturbing. These are the cases that we are looking at today. A man in California allegedly stabbed his pregnant wife and then threw his infant daughter over a cliff. 
And then a man who is suspected of killing a Utah couple in their house has officially been charged. We're going to get to those cases in a second, but first, a word from our sponsor, Raycon. Hi, everyone. Who doesn't love the highest quality earbuds possible for listening to music or their favorite podcasts? We here at True Crime Daily, the podcast, certainly rely on the best audio possible. And that's why we're really excited about these Raycon earbuds. These are the everyday E25 earbuds. And they're pretty amazing with what they do. The earbuds come in this little carrying case, and it's pretty amazing that on a single charge of the case, they can actually charge your earbuds four times on that single charge. These earbuds are Raycon's latest and best. They come with six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and more compact design that gives you a nice noise isolating fit, and it also comes in a bunch of different colors. Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of some of the premium wireless earbuds on the market, and they sound just as amazing as some of those top brands. Celebrities like Snoop Dogg and Brandy are also obsessed with Raycon. If you want to get a pair of Raycon earbuds, we have a special for you. You can get 15% off of your order. Just click on the link in the description box below, or you can go to buyraycon.com slash TCD, that's for True Crime Daily, for 15% off of your order. Once again, you can go to buyraycon.com slash TCD for 15% off your order. We hope you enjoy. Allison, our first story, I have to admit, is haunting and it's so disturbing. I'm, I'm burning candles today while we're doing this podcast because I, 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 I can't. I can't. The first part of the story, by the way, Anna, which I know you'll get into in detail, is shocking enough. But how it ends up is just gut, it's just gut-wrenching. It hurts so badly. As a human being, as a parent, um, I just, there's no words. No words. There aren't. So let's get to the case. And we're sorry, everyone, but this is gruesome. All right, so here are the details of this case. A father in Palm Desert, California, goes on a violent rampage that began with him stabbing his pregnant wife, and it ended with him tossing his one-year-old daughter over a cliff, plunging her to her death. He, of course, survives because it always seems like the most disgusting human beings on the planet seem to survive. And everything about this man, Allison, was violent. 49-year-old Adam Slater, who is already a registered sex offender, is now charged with second-degree murder, attempted murder, and assault with a deadly weapon. Let's dive into this case in the Coachella Valley. By the way, at some point, I want to talk about the fact that he only got two years in prison for that sexual assault case, which is shocking to me. But we'll talk about that in a minute. But, but the facts here are horrific. So he um, has this altercation with his wife. He stabs her while she is pregnant. Somehow, Anna, she survives. He takes off with their infant child in the car. He gets into an accident. He flips his car. Wonderful bystanders, do-gooders, come over to help. They, they do everything they can to get that child out of the car. One of the bystanders has the child in their hand, basically rescuing them and sheltering them. What does this lunatic do? What does this lunatic do? He comes over. 
He wrestles the child away from the do-gooding bystander, and then he tosses her over a ravine, and the child dies. The baby dies. And he stabbed that good Samaritan. I mean, he stabbed the and good he Samaritan as he's good Samaritan while he is pulling his child away from the person who's trying to help. And because this happened in the morning in broad daylight, there's everyone witnesses. sees this. There's witnesses to him throwing his child over into a ravine and killing the child. It is as gruesome of a case as you could ever imagine. Just gruesome. I mean, he was hell-bent on murder that day and on destruction, but not his own, though. Not his own. The people around him, but not his own. So let's talk a little bit about the people, the family, and the dynamics, and, and not that it gives us any insight, really, into what was going on. Adam Slater was married. He had this beautiful baby girl. Her name was Madeline. Everybody in the family called her Maddie. His wife, Ashley, was six months pregnant, and the two had been married about two years. However, about a month before this incident, the mom, Ashley, had moved out because she was afraid of her husband. She said that he I was becoming- I can't imagine why, Anna. I can't. Right. Really? A sex, a registered sex offender who's capable of this behavior? I could only imagine what preceded this and the fear this woman must have been in for a long time. And, and by no means to further victimize the victim here, but why in the world did she marry this man and have a child with him? And then, ha and then have another child, be, be pregnant with him. Now, I want to say, as I always do, he has pled not guilty and he is presumed innocent. Okay? Everybody has their day in court. I do believe there will be some type of mental health defense. I am certain of it. Being a defense attorney for years, I'm certain that that's where this case will turn eventually. However, there are certain eyewitness accounts that are irrefutable. And the irrefutable accounts are that this man took his baby and flung his baby to her death. Yeah, there's no question about it. You know, I, I, I always find that interesting. I'm glad you brought that up as a criminal defense attorney, because yes, I understand how our legal system works presumed innocent. But when you see the atrocity and the crime committed in broad daylight with so many witnesses, and there is no question about what he did, there is no defense. There's no, no defense. I'm gonna, no, that's not true. That's not true. So, not good enough for me, I Allison. Say, I have to say, here we are. There are eyewitnesses to this crime. There is, in other cases, there's DNA evidence to a crime. And then you could say, well, there's no defense at all. Not true. He could plead not guilty by reason of insanity. And that is a lawful and, if proven true, complete defense. So to say there's no defense, there may be no ethical defense. There may be no, but there is a legal defense. This is about the time I want to vomit over here, right? I know, now. I know you do, and I understand it, and I appreciate it. Um, I want you to compare. I want to. I want to diverge a minute, if you let me. Okay. So, do you remember the Andrea Yates case? Because it was a really famous, famous case where the mother uh, killed her children. Um, she had horrible um, PTSD. 
and she believed that voices were commanding that she kill her children. On first blush, it was an absolutely horrible case. I mean, the facts of what she did to these children were so unthinkable and inconceivable. But when you understood the background of her mindset and, and how she had been tormented for years with mental health issues, it never fully explained the behavior, but at least put in context that this wasn't just a cold-blooded killer. This was a true schizophrenic who believed, who truly believed, and voices were commanding her to do this. I don't think that this is the case here, and I'm not arguing it that it's the case here, but when we say there is no legal defense, Anna, I know it's hard to swallow, but there very well might be. Okay, and I, and I do appreciate that because obviously we must work in a legal system, and I am simply reacting on an emotional level, um, not not even a journalistic level right there. That was just my emotional level because it's so disturbing. So let's, let's dig into what happened that day a little bit deeper to give everybody some context. So the day of violence began last week. It was on May 6th at 8.30 in the morning, as you said, that the mom was assaulted, but she was assaulted this way. Palm Desert Sheriff's got a call that there was a stabbing outside of a church. And that's where they found Ashley Grome. She had been stabbed several times. According to family members, Ashley parked in front of the church. She was sitting in the car with her one-year-old daughter. And she was waiting to meet her husband because since she had moved out a month earlier, she still wanted her husband to still have, obviously, access to their child. But she wanted to do it in a public place where she would feel more safe, obviously. A lot of parents who were split up do this. They meet in, in public places. Yeah. But what happened is when Adam arrived, he apparently arrived in a rage. He told Ashley, this is what Ashley told police. Adam said this, you're dying today. We're all dying today. So he already set the tone for what was about to unravel. He starts punching his wife, who's pregnant, six months, and he starts stabbing her in the stomach and in the neck. There is uh, someone else in a car nearby, because this is we do this in a public place, sees what's happening, starts honking the horn, scares Adam. He grabs their baby, Madeline, and he takes off. Within a half hour, police get another call that a car just went off a cliff on Highway 74 in the Coachella Valley. And that's where we pick up the story where he, he, I believe he did this intentionally because oh, this is I want to an talk overlook. About okay. I want to talk it, about that. It looks like if we can, if we can add okay. some photos for you, it looks like one of those Vista points, you know, it was a very, very high and it, he apparently slammed through, flipped his car several times. Surprisingly, this man survives as you said, pick it up from where you started. The bystanders rush to the car to try to help the man, the baby, man, bystander, innocent person grabs the baby to save her. And this lunatic stabs the good Samaritan, grabs the baby and tosses her over the cliff. Okay. So I'm, I'm surprised that the district attorney's office has charged him with a second degree murder for the daughter. And I'm going to tell you why. Yes. When you look at it initially and you say, okay, there was, was there enough time to deliberate from the time he took the child and tossed the child over the ravine, right? So is it a careless, um, 
act a, is it a second in the sense that it was an act that was so dangerous to human life? Absolutely. You know, it was a crime of passion. Did it happen without deliberation and premeditation? However, I want you to go back to what you just said. He said to the wife in the parking lot, he said, we're all going to die today. Okay. Yes. That to me is proof is evidence that this was a premeditated act that he had time to deliberate that that was his plan for the day. So in isolation, I can see a second degree argument for the immediate action of taking the child out of the hands and putting the child and, and throwing the child in the ravine. But, but Anna, you cannot view that in isolation. If you look at what he said in that parking lot, that's evidence of premeditation. I agree. That's why I'm so surprised that he was not charged with first degree murder. And the way California works, so so that we're clear, and I'm very familiar with the the Palm Desert is is about an hour and a half, two hours away from uh, Los Angeles, and um, and the way the court system works is that there will be a preliminary hearing in this case where the it's like a mini court trial where the court will hear evidence to decide whether there is probable cause to hold this man over for trial. Um, the standard's fairly low. But what can happen is that upon hearing the evidence, a judge or a prosecutor may say, I want to amend the charges. I want to include a first degree murder. And a judge may say, you know what? There's enough evidence here to do that. Now, the attempted murder charge is very serious because the penalties are essentially very similar to a murder conviction. So you've got enough charges here to put him in prison for the rest of his life. The kidnapping, the attempted murder, the murder. There's no question about that. If he gets convicted of these offenses, I, I have, I'm certain that he will spend the rest of his natural life in prison. But the question is, why aren't they charging him immediately with the first? I don't know. Yeah, and that is something that probably is bugging a lot of people, including the family. But the fact that you just said there's the possibility that they may raise the charge, that I think is somewhat hopeful. I, I do want to ask you um, a little bit more about his background and his prior criminal history, because it appears there's just that one conviction, which is, of course, horrendous enough. And he was on what we have here in California called Megan's List. So that means he's a registered sex offender and he always has to register with the police once uh, a year on his birthday. And so this incident that he was convicted on and, and served two years on that goes back to 1995. So what do you think happened in that incident? What are the allegations? Actually, the conviction was for penetration of a victim with a foreign object by force. Um, I don't know the exact details of the case, but it is some type of a rape charge, okay? Um, and, you know, the laws in 95 were not nearly as stringent as a sexual assault is today. However, it still would be considered 
a violent offense. So for purposes of the three, third strike law, it would qualify as a strike. We know that he spent two years in prison um, and he was released in 97. So my question, of course, is, was that sufficient time given what type of charge it is? Um, I think that he probably, if that happened now, he would be given a lot more time than he did in the 90s. Now, can we look at the flip side of this? And I'm going to play devil's advocate on this one. That happened in 1995. Is it possible that this man finally got his act together? Because let's let's step back and say, well, if he hasn't had any other um, violent arrests or convictions since that moment, he has a beautiful family. It looked like he was getting his life together. Beautiful wife, beautiful daughter, another baby on the way. It almost seemed as if here's a man who had changed his life around and then goes berserk. Absolutely. I, I mean, you know, it's not devil's advocate. Absolutely. By all accounts, right? Although, let me say something to you. According to the wife, this was not this was not an out of the blue behavior. She had left him. Okay. So, but it looks like he didn't have any other police contact for at least what, 15 years, whatever that is. So that's something there. That's something. Um, and you know, he was no longer on parole. So he wasn't under the watchful eye of law enforcement. So maybe he had changed his behaviors. Maybe he had was gamefully employed, but something in him snapped because this behavior is as abhorrent as one could ever imagine. And like I said in the beginning, it is bad enough that he stabbed his pregnant wife. It is bad enough that he stabbed her. He then kidnaps the child is driving so incredibly erratically that he flips the car. He then, as a bystander, is trying to remove that child and save that child. He attacks the bystander, and then he throws the child, the baby, over into a ravine. I mean, there's no words. I'm wondering, like, what was the obsession with trying to kill the baby? Like, you, I'm not saying that I understand this. Hurt but the mother. Hurt the mother. To hurt the mother. Hurt the mother. I see. I've done so many of these cases, um, and there's always a revenge. You've hurt me, so I'm going to hurt what means most to you. I'm going to take away what is most important to you. You know, the grandfather, Maddie's grandfather, the father of the, the wife, the mom, said that Maddie had just started taking her first steps when she was killed. And, you know, that's always such a precious moment in a family's life and the development of a child, you know, and to think, and she's so pretty. What a beautiful baby. Ah, I'm heartbroken. If this is our reaction, can you imagine what a jury is going to do? Can you imagine what, as they sit there and see these pictures of this beautiful, innocent angel and this man who threw his own child over a, and, and she died. I mean, 
if I'm him, I try and make a deal with the prosecution because I don't think that a trial will end well for him. No, no. Uh, he is sitting behind bars right now. Bail has been set at $1 million. And the mother, Ashley, started a fundraising campaign to help pay for Maddie's funeral. We will keep you posted on this case. It is a horrific one. Horrible. Allison, our second case is out of Utah. We are learning more about a Utah couple killed in their home while three small children slept upstairs. It is a miracle that those babies survived. The man accused of murdering them is 31-year-old Albert Johnson. He's finally appeared in court to face murder charges in Utah. Let's dive into the details of this case. Allison, this is actually a case that's been going on for several weeks. And he he was on the run. He was on the run and then he gets captured. So, but let me say, when you look at the picture of this couple, that woman's smile is one of the most beautiful smiles I've ever seen in my life. I mean, she looks like someone that I want to hug. Anna, did you see her? It's they're picture perfect. They're like, oh, uh, they're one, right. They're that beautiful. typical picture perfect blonde family. But I mean, she looks kind. This woman looks just lovely. So here's what happens. This guy is low on cash. He needs money. Okay. I'm sure that um, this pandemic, and by the way, this, uh, one thing to be said about this case that I worry about is that this I, I, may, I think that there may be a trend of home invasions because people are hurting for money and they've lost yeah. their jobs and they're desperate and desperate people commit very brutal crimes at times. So This is extreme though, Allison. This, this is extreme and there's a little bit of a backstory. It's not that it was completely random either. No, no, it was not random. It was that he had, he had sought job employment from... Mr. Butterfield from the father. They own like a landscaping business, I believe, or something like that. They did. Yes. The Butterfields. He, um, he knew him. He goes in wearing a mask. Well, first he, apparently the, the, the authorities say that Albert went in and asked for a job. We believe that he may have been turned down. We're not really sure because he has a prior criminal history. We don't know that that's the reason or whatever, but let's, let's put that in the fact base okay. here. And so that's part of it. That's part of it. He needs a job and he can't get one. So this happened on April 18th and a neighbor called 911 saying that they had heard gunshots and a woman screaming around 1.15 in the morning. And this is at the house of Tony and Catherine Butterfield, devout Mormons who served on numerous missions. And again, Three children under the age of four sleeping upstairs. Take it, Allison. So this guy comes into their home while they are sleeping. He's wearing a mask. He goes upstairs, and you're right. These three precious children are there, and thank God they remained unharmed. Bashes down their door. He gets $20 from them and two cell phones. He leaves the house. Now, the psychological torment would have lasted forever for them, but they are physically unharmed at that point. But he left something behind, didn't he? He forgot his car keys. He left his car keys. So what does he do? 
He goes back into the home. By then, Tony had armed himself with a knife to defend him, his wife, and his three minor children, as he had every right to do. And what courage that he said, if this man comes back, I will be ready. Okay? So he comes in. The Albert comes in. There's a confrontation. Tony has the knife, but unfortunately, this intruder has a gun, and he shoots and kills him. Catherine, the wife, at this point is screaming. The intruder believes that a neighbor has seen or heard what is going on, and what is his response? Instead of just running out, he kills Catherine, too. He shoots them both. And what's extraordinary is that Albert lives just four minutes from their home, just four minutes from their home, but he doesn't go exactly home. He, he, he takes a few hours to get home, according to his wife. When the cops arrive at the Butterfield house, they find an unbelievable crime scene here. They find Tony in the backyard dead. They find the wife, Catherine, inside the house dead. Babies upstairs are safe. The house has been ransacked. There's blood everywhere. There's been a major fight because, as you said, Tony was ready in case this guy came back. So cops are trying to figure out, was this random? Was this, you know, purposeful? This happened on a Saturday. By Monday, they already have a suspect. Correct. They already know who they're looking for. They're looking for Albert, which is very interesting. Albert takes off, as you say. But in the meantime, Albert's wife starts telling the police how she helped Albert. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Whoa, whoa. And whoa. Anna, what? Yes. There's a whoa. W- what's does the whoa? not initially tell the police. How oh, 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 I'm sorry. Right. He, and now she has been charged with obstruction of justice. She leads them on a goose chase to find Albert, doesn't tell them where Albert is, Yet she is an accomplice to the crime because she helps him clean up the mess of right. blood and disaster that he has left in his wake. So she is very much involved in this criminal act. Oh, absolutely. She, this is what she, she tells everyone. So Albert's wife told police that on the night of the couple's murder, this is finally when the wife is cooperating with police, that he came home somewhere between 3 and 4 a.m. Remember, they live like four minutes away from each other, and the intrusion and murders happened slightly after 1 a.m. He told the wife, he claimed that someone had stabbed him and that his life was over. Well, it's true. He was stabbed. Whether his life was over, well, I would say, yeah, in many ways. He took a shower, he changed his clothes, and then he left. The wife then cleaned the apartment because there was blood in the hallway, blood downstairs, and blood in the bathroom. She takes his clothes, she... She doesn't call the police. Oh, no, she does not call the police. Doesn't call the police. No. Cleans the blood. Yes. And disposes of his bloody clothes, which would not only have his blood, but the Butterfield's blood. And there'd be no reason for him to have any Butterfield DNA on him. So she disposes of it. Classic definition of a a obstruction of justice and an accomplice after the fact. 
So anyone that is trying to conceal a crime and aids essentially in the cover-up of that crime is going to be guilty of an offense. Oh, absolutely. I don't have any any sympathy for her. I but I do want to have a conversation that we can throw out to our listeners after we okay. talk about it specific to her. Oh, okay. Very good. So then, um, n- now we still know Albert's on the run. Albert has made his way to California. And that's interesting because Albert's previous arrest and imprisonment took place in California. You know, sometimes people are not that smart when they, when they run. Um, they return to the scene of their crimes. Right, don't they? Absolutely. And, of course, you know, police have already issued not only a warrant, but everyone's on the lookout for him, and they have a description of his car. The U.S. Marshals are looking for him, and, of course, they spot the car, his 2008 Toyota Corolla, which leads them straight to Albert. When they go to arrest him, he resists arrest, and there's uh, a massive fight, I guess, to restrain Albert, because if you look at his mugshot. You've got to put that booking photo up. Oh, yeah. Boy. He was he hella is, beaten up. Oh, my God. Yeah, he's got a black eye. He's swollen on the other side. I mean, he definitely looked like he got a beating. Yeah. Now, the uh, arresting officers and the U.S. Marshals said that he had wounds, what appeared to be stab wounds, on his arms and his legs. Because remember, Tony Butterfield stabbed him. In an attempt to defend himself and his family. Oh, yes, of course. So he gets arrested in Stockton, California, and then is finally returned to Utah, where he is now facing two counts of aggravated murder, aggravated robbery, aggravated kidnapping, aggravated burglary, obstruction of justice, and the use of a firearm by a restricted person. That would probably mean because he was um, had a criminal history. What does the aggravated mean? I mean, isn't murder murder? Like, no, what is there's, aggravated? There's, you know, there's, there's, lie, well, I'll tell you what it is. So, there's certain things that make you eligible for the death penalty. So, when you have an aggravated murder, you have either a lying in wait or it was, it was especially cruel or heinous. This case is death penalty eligible. Well, um, he's, he's being held and his wife, Sina, is being held on a $100,000 uh, bail right now. And do you believe that the information that she ultimately, ultimately gave police, ultimately, do you think that that will help in his conviction? I do. The interesting thing is, okay, so what is the spousal, what is the spousal privilege? What is spousal immunity mean here? Will it come into play? These are all very interesting legal issues, right? So there is a spousal immunity, but because she's charged, are they going to say to her, look, lady, we need your testimony for a conviction. Therefore, we will make a deal with you where you will not go to prison if you testify against your husband. These are going to be, this is a case we should follow, Anna, because it's got interesting legal twists and turns as it relates not just to him, but to the wife, because the wife provides, she ultimately does provide critical information about the killing. She is a defendant in this case, but she also holds 
a spousal privilege. So this is something that I think is going to play out in very interesting ways, which leads me to my question that I'd love for our listeners to think about. So I'm always interested in what lengths people will go for their significant other, for their spouse, for their child. And what, it, what, is, what impact does that have on a jury? And what I mean by that is this. If this man is someone who you absolutely love and you adore and you had no idea that they were a capable of this or that they had done it. And let's, let's say that this was not your husband, but your child. And they come into your house and they say, I did this because I did this for us. We had no money. We're desperate. And I'm trying to feed our family. What length would a person go to protect that child or that spouse from detection? Would you, in fact, wash those bloody clothes? Would you not tell the police where to find them? Would you get rid of the murder weapon? I always am fascinated. I want to hear what listeners say about that. That is interesting. Although, you know, we... Do we know what she knew at the time, right? Did the wife know that he had killed them intentionally? Or, or did she think that they got into a fight and that's why he was bloody and that he was stabbed? Because her husband was clearly stabbed. So I wonder what she knew at the time. Well, that'll be really an interesting told her. question. Absolutely. That'll be an interesting question. But I'll tell you, it is more common that family members help other family members, then they turn them in. If you remember, there was a case where a father knew, and the father, I think, was a correctional officer or something like that, and the father knew, had put together the pieces that his son was a serial killer, and the father actually turned him in. And and I... It is more... It's uncommon. like the Unabomber. Remember, the That's Unabomber's family is the one who helped police, the FBI, finally apprehend him. But I believe that's more uncommon than common. And so it's a very interesting discussion. When you know the person you love, your family member, is in the wrong, there's no question they're in the wrong, do you actually turn them in? Do you assist them in covering up the crime? This is a very interesting just point of discussion, I think. And we have a very vocal group of subscribers on YouTube, and I love the comments. I'm always reading them. I try to respond to the comments uh, because they also have wonderful theories on things and raise questions that we may not have answers to. So it's very interactive, and I love that. But I want to follow up on something you said about the wife. Okay. Even if she doesn't cooperate and get a deal, what difference does it make? There's going to be enough DNA evidence, physical evidence, to convict him. So I think How? you don't uh, you may be need, right, but you may be you don't right. Remember need this. Remember this. The children are too young to testify. And they're orphans. And they're orphans. The two precipient witnesses are both unfortunately deceased. So what stops him from saying it was a violent struggle? I had already left the house um, and he came after me. I, my, my point is, I think her testimony seals the deal. 
Maybe. I think that they can get a conviction without her if she doesn't want to cooperate and testify against her husband. I think that there's probably going to be enough there. Of course, it would be better with her help, but I just think they can pull it off on this one. I think there's going to be enough evidence. So gruesome. And what happens to these children? Can you her, imagine? Her. One was like six months old. No, I know. I know. I, 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 the only silver lining in this brutal, horrible case is that the children did not see it. Yeah, that's so true. Thank you're, gosh. You're, you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I do want to update everyone that this case, the defendant will be back in court on May 29th. So we'll have some more information, hopefully coming up as we follow this. And he is pled not guilty. Don't forget that. Very, very important. He is presumed not guilty. Absolutely. Very important. Let's move on to our comments section. These are crime stories that you all are talking about on social media. An NFL player's wife has been arrested after police say that she held a gun to his head over an affair. Austin police arrested the wife of NFL player Earl Thomas after they say that she held him at gunpoint when she went to confront him about an affair that she believed that he was having. Nina Thomas told police that she and her husband fought. She became very suspicious. She checked his Snapchat account, and that's when she told police that she saw him with another woman. So she grabbed Earl's gun and was going to the apartment, she says, simply to scare him. But according to the affidavit, Nita admitted that she pulled the gun to Earl's head again to scare him. She says she removed the magazine, thinking that the gun would not fire. She disengaged the safety. But police said that there was a bullet, one bullet in the chamber. So what do you think, Allison? Well, I think that she's in big, big trouble. I mean, I think that she is in big trouble. I mean, you cannot, no matter how angry you are, no matter how upset you are that your husband or wife is cheating. Um, and, you know, I mean, look, his answer that, Oh, I, you know, I went over there. I was trying to work on my relationship with my wife. I mean, that's pretty sleazy stuff. I mean, you know, come on. We all would be hurt, whether you're the husband, the wife, the girlfriend, the boyfriend. It's, it's devastating. But you're not allowed to pull a gun on somebody and place it against their forehead. That is not allowed. No matter how much love you have there or hate, um, you're not allowed. To, that is a very, very serious criminal offense. And here's the thing about the law. You can't do acts that are inherently dangerous, that are inherently dangerous to human life. So, Anna, you saying, Allison, I, I put that gun to your chest. I'm, how in the world did it go off? No, you should have known that it was absolutely possible that that was going to happen. So when, when prosecutors are looking at this case and judges are listening to this case, it is no defense that you were just intending to scare him because the act alone is dangerous to human life and you need to be aware that there is a real possibility that someone is going to get shot and die. So I don't think that she has any real viable defense in the I only intended to scare him defense. Right. And, you know, in the heat of the moment, this is when these these moments of heat of the moment and, and passion assaults and killings, they take place. You're not thinking rationally. You know, you're, you're just all worked up. But when you step back and look at it, besides the fact of the basic danger of doing this, 
did she really think that by putting a gun to her husband's head that he was all of a, all of a sudden going to be falling back in love with her and want to get together? Like, I don't think so. Well, some people think, oh my God, look, she loves me this much. She's willing to do this for me. She must truly love me. I Look, there is something in this story that that has nothing to do with the shooting, but I or the the gun to the head. But I think is so odd and interesting. Did you read Anna? So he goes to his friend's house. His friend has a girlfriend, and then there's the other girl who he's having the relationship with. But then there's like some other random women there. There's a couple other women, and um, it seems all. I mean, it's if I walked in. And there my husband is in bed with this woman. I would be beyond furious. Now, I, I wouldn't pull a gun to his head, but there was like a lot of other women in this premises that is odd to me. Odd. Well, let's face it. I mean, I, I don't think there's any denial that he was having an affair. I don't think that that's in question. I By don't the think way, that- though, if she does get a jury, you know, there's you know, the hell have no fury like a woman scorned. If she gets a jury with some women and some men that have been cheated on or mistreated, um, she's going to have some sympathetic ears on that jury. I'm telling you. Sympathetic probably to a degree, right? Because, you know, if there were, here's my thing. There was a bullet in that gun. If there hadn't been any bullets in the gun, I'd be like, well, and I'd st- and it's still a crime. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, so... I, I don't know. I, I think that, um, and again, she has pled not guilty, but I think that there is something to be said here with, is a jury going to lend a sympathetic ear to her? Well, Nina Thomas has been arrested and charged with- And burglary. another reason why what? don't post things on social media. She oh, went yeah. on the Snapchat. She went on his Snapchat account and saw him with the other woman. Yeah, but you know, yes, that's true. That's stupid of him. But at this point, my guess is he didn't really care. Because if you're doing that, you really don't care about your wife and respecting your wife, right? I agree. Well, look what happened. Yeah, but unfortunately, you know, uh, the whole thing is horrible. It's horrible and it's very dangerous. So Nina Thomas has been arrested and charged with burglary of a residence and intent to commit aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. And here are some of the comments. Cheryl P. writes, dang. She literally could have killed him by accident. Absolutely. And Judy V writes, don't mess with a woman when she finds out you've been cheating. Oh, that's a true one too. All right. Our final case today. This is Allison's favorite. I love it. I, love I know it. we all need a little laugh today. Okay. Like, I feel like this could be like out of a, a cartoon, like you could see, and I'm not, you know, I'm not like a Bugs Bunny, but you could see um, like Wiley Coyote getting underneath the belly of a truck, if they, you know, or or um, Pooh Bear going underneath something where there's honey. Just, yes. I just love this. Oh my gosh! All right, so a man climbs under a moving semi truck hauling wine to drink from the tank. California Highway Patrol officers arrested Gabriel Moreno after he allegedly jumped on a moving tanker truck that was carrying bulk red wine so he's literally underneath the belly of the truck and he's unscrewed the valve and he is drinking wine while you know the truck is moving and this is on highway 99 but this this to me is the incredible part that the trucker says that a guy in a car tried to pull him over so he the trucker actually stopped because he thought you know what if there's a safety thing you know how sometimes there's something hanging off your truck so he figured the guy was just trying to help when the guy gets out, he's in his underwear. Oh, okay. Oh, and it's the 
It is so good. The man is driving in his underwear, okay, pulls a tanker truck over. How he manages to do that, I don't know. Yeah, because well, the guy, you know, gets out in his underwear, which I just loved. Um, and then just sort of hops aboard, hops aboard the Wine Express. It's amazing. Amazing. And the trucker, you know, at first didn't know that because the trucker saw that there was nothing wrong with his vehicle. So he takes off. He doesn't know that nutty guy in his underwear has attached himself. And then they have, you know, display panels to, you know, alert the, the trucker, the driver of what they're carrying and the, and the load. And he starts seeing that the load of liquid is decreasing like he's got a leak. That's when he pulls over and finds man in the underwear stuck to the bottom of his truck drinking volumes so as the wine is gushing out this guy is essentially gulping as much wine as he could and at the end of the day when they weighed the load it was the equivalent of five thousand bottles of wine that had been lost five thousand bottles now i have to say i i love this case because it's silly in so many ways but it's actually so incredibly dangerous that this guy is on the underbelly of this tanker truck when the tanker truck is going at maximum speeds. I mean, it's like a James Bond movie finds itself with a jackass movie, right? It's like a hybrid <laughs> of like this crazy stunt, but this guy's doing it in real life in his underwear. Oh, I wonder what kind much. of wine it was. I think it was red wine, wow. but I don't know the like exact varietal. Um, I think it was a blend. Okay. <laughs> All right. And this is what our viewers thought. Ahmad D writes, Legend Moreno and Bonnie N. Welp, that's enough internet for today. Amazing. <laughs> well, amazing. Well, that is our show for today. Allison, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people follow you or get in touch with you if they want to know what you're up to? Thank you. So I have a law practice. That's Law Offices of Allison Treasel. I am the legal expert at KTLA Channel 5 in Los Angeles, and I am the legal expert for Access Hollywood. You're everywhere. And, and I'm here. On True Crime Daily, the podcast, right. which we love. All right. And you can always find me at Anna G News on all social media platforms. As always, you can find our content on Spotify, iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. And of course, on YouTube, if you want updates, subscribe to our newsletter at truecrimedaily.com. Until next week, as we always say, don't do crime. You know that science solves crimes. Forensic science is exciting, challenging, and most of all, rewarding work. But there is a shortage of qualified individuals in this field. Hi, I'm Terry with Loyola University, Maryland's Forensic Science Department. Loyola is one of the only colleges in the country offering advanced degrees in forensic pattern analysis and biological forensics. Our courses, taught by forensic experts, feature hands-on training and small class sizes. They are based on real crime scene and forensic examiner training programs to ensure you are ready to make a difference. Our programs are open to students from a variety of academic backgrounds because we believe everyone can contribute to solving crimes. So what are you waiting for? Discover the excitement of forensic science at Loyola University, Maryland. Visit loyola.edu forward slash forensic for more information. That's loyola.edu forward slash forensic because you are ready to make a difference. 
Join one of Loyola University Maryland's forensic science programs today.